Hallelujah. Yeah, hallelujah. God is so good, isn't he? So great to be with you guys and to hear you guys worshiping with us and lifting up your voices and singing together. It was just awesome. We were welcoming the Gospel Rescue Mission with us in the last service. We were so blessed to have them. Yeah, so great to have them with us. And uh, just like full house of the 915 service, I can't wait till we fill all the services back up. Everybody being able to be free to worship God together and stuff. And we understand and respect the fact that some are not ready to come out yet. And we are so grateful for the online presence that God has blessed us with. So I, I want to start off the message today by just sharing something from my heart with you. As we celebrate our freedom, there are many that have uh, thought that the church was... Um, uh, the doors were shut on the church and that, you know, all this stuff that was going on. I just want you to know that as we express our freedoms in God, that God did not shut the doors of his church, nor was this, the church not allowed to meet. We continued to meet online and we continued to preach God's truth. And it was going across the Internet in ways that like many of the online sources, especially social media, because many of the churches did not have uh, online presence like we've been doing this for several years and we're very grateful for God allowing us to do that. But a lot of churches didn't have that ability or technology. So what they did is they went to Facebook Live. And this is not an advertisement for Facebook. I think it's hilarious that the first week that churches started online, Facebook couldn't handle it. Because I want you to know, seriously, that the world doesn't know how strong the church is. And uh, the media in the, in the public realm sees us as insignificant, but they couldn't handle our presence online. And I loved it because it was saying, like, we're here and we exist, kind of like Horton Hears a Who, you know? Kind of like, let our voice be heard a little bit. If you don't know, that's Dr. Seuss. Anyway, so as we, as we in the church engaged what God was doing, God is absolutely at work, and we've not been restricted in preaching the gospel. The church has continued to meet, to thrive, and to experience God's presence and power like never before. Personally, here at CFF, I want you to know that during that eight weeks, uh, we never had such an audience in the church physically present and online while we were doing that together as when we were online. The numbers are there that say we had greater influence with the gospel message than any other time in our existing history as a church. Okay, now that's not to like promote a number idea. I'm saying God was moving in ways like never before. And yet some in the Christian community were freaking out thinking like, oh no, the church is being closed. God's saying, no, I'm actually engaging my church with culture and in the world around us. And I want the church to recognize their place in who I am and the world to see that we exist. So God himself needs to turn the light on the church by and large as a whole and making us a subject to conversation in our culture. Church, the culture in the United States, and by and large, many other areas, has been transparent and invisible. And God made us visible. We were the topic of conversation in many circles that were happening around socially. That's a great thing. God himself was doing that. Don't miss that. This is not some time that God has, has like kind of stepped to the curtain and hid back there like the Wizard of Oz or something and try and do something. Not that we're making a bunch of movie references. That's, I'm limited out right there, Dr. Seuss and Wizard of Oz. Anyway, the thing and the fact of the matter is God is actively working and He is today, church. We are going to look in His Word and man, I am super excited to preach the message today. And if you know you were coming in early, I kept those guys way later than usual. 
Not that I'm going to do that to you. I just wanted to warn you before we get started. That happened. All right. All right. So let's get moving so we don't get stuck. Okay. We looked last week at God's promises, the prophetic word of God, the promises of God and how God fulfilled everything that he said he would. We know this, that as we looked at the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham, that God is not in a hurry, but he's always good to his word. He promised Abraham a son. 25 years later, Isaac was born. God promised and said, all this land that you see, Abraham, I'm going to give it to your descendants. That's the land of modern-day Palestine. Biblical days, it was Canaan, and it was termed by the... Uh, Israelites in captivity as the promised land because it was promised by God through Abraham that they would receive it. So in Palestine, modern day Palestine, God gave that land to Abraham's descendants, Israel and the tribe of Judah and all those people. So as we look at that, it took 600 plus years before they actually took the land. It was at that moment they became a nation. Now, God also promised through that Abrahamic covenant that he would bless all the world. We did this last Sunday. I want you to know all of our messages are online. You can check them out. But I have to touch on this as we go forward today. So God promised the Messiah, not only in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, throughout that time, but also in the Abrahamic covenant, he promised that all the world would be blessed through him. Now then, God reaffirmed that covenant in the time of King David when he was the reigning king of Israel, And Israel was the world power nation, and their warrior leader, King David, was established upon his throne. God spoke to the prophet Nathan to him and said, I will make an everlasting reign upon your throne, and therefore your descendants, they will be on that throne, and I will send that one to sit upon the throne forever, the the root of the tribe, uh, the root of Jesse. It was the promise of the coming Messiah. 1600 years after that promise to David, Jesus came. So as we looked at all those prophecies and all those things last week, and we look in scripture, we learn that God not only is good to his word, but God's never in a hurry. So as we looked at that, then we saw that God had promises of blessing and promises of judgment. God's good to his word in both cases. He said, if you'll serve me, I will bless you. If you do your own thing, I will judge you. So God's judgment comes as a response of our lack of obedience. Both of those are blessings, though we don't see them that way because we see blessings as good stuff. God blesses us with correction when we screw up because he wants to give us good stuff and you can't have it when you're living wrong. All right, now then. Throughout the Old Testament, prophets were sent by God with messages that were for the moment and for the future. So when you look in God's word, you see that God spoke a tangible message in the moment, but oftentimes the messages that spoke in that moment of their time also had futuristic tendencies with them. God is good, and it's his word, and he can do this because he's God. And so we see messages that were challenging the people in the moment, but also were messages to future peoples. Now, It is known that God sent messages, and I don't know, prophets, I'm sorry, with messages from Scripture. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but prophets and the office of a prophet did not exist before Moses. We know this scripturally. Moses was the first of the prophets of God. And it's biblical that it states this, and we have a reason that there were prophets sent. 
All right, so I'm going to read to you in Deuteronomy chapter 18, and there are some specific things that we need to see in the context of where we're going today. I want everybody in this room, everybody online that's joining us, I want you to know that today's message I am speaking to you is a prophetic message. If you know me, you know I do not speak prophetic I don't speak on prophecy too much. However, I know that oftentimes God's word is prophetic, so I speak prophetic messages because it's God's word. But today I want you to know that we will speak a prophetic message, and we need to hear it. We also know that as we looked at Moses and what he says and how God spoke and how he taught the people, that God demands 100% accuracy from all prophets. You hear me? 100%. It doesn't matter if 99 prophecies are correct. If the 100th is wrong, that person is not speaking for God. That's God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Check this out. Moses continued, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you yourselves requested of the Lord your God when you were assembled at Mount Sinai. You said, Don't let us hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore or see this blazing fire, for we will die. Do you remember that count in the Exodus? See, God told Moses, Assemble the people, bring them to the foot of Mount. I'm going to talk to them myself. So the people all gathered at the edge of the mountain and when the thundering started happening and God's voice began to echo out, everybody freaked out. And they were like, well, we're going to die. God is actually talking. And he, they told Moses, you go talk to him. Find out what he has to say. You come talk to us. We don't want to hear him. This is what he's referencing. Now listen, this is what he says. You proclaimed, don't let us hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore or see this blazing fire, for we will die. Then the Lord said to me, what they have said is right. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell the people everything I have commanded him. I will personally deal with anyone who will not listen to the messages the prophets proclaim on my behalf. Did you hear that? God said, I will deal with them. But any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name or who speaks in the name of another God must die. God's pretty serious about this. God is serious about his message and those who claim to speak his message and those who speak messages as a whole. God's very serious about this. They must die. But you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message. 100% accuracy when it's God. You hear that? That prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. So God is giving clear directions to his people. When someone claims to be a prophet and they speak a message from God in their words and it does not happen as they said, they're a liar. God's not in it. 
Now, you remember our message uh, last few weeks. We looked at the prophecies of Ezekiel. We looked at the prophecies of Jeremiah. They were speaking about God's coming judgment. They preached to the people and said, look, you have to repent. You must repent. God's judgment is coming. He is calling us to repent. Those people only had a lip service to God, but they were not living it, worshiping Him, or doing anything God desired for them to do. They were living in reckless disobedience while speaking words about God. And the prophet Ezekiel and the prophet Jeremiah spoke warnings saying, God's judgment's coming. Wake up, repent, or else. We already know Ezekiel was taken in the first uh, wave of capture in um, 604-605 B.C. as Nebuchadnezzar came upon Judah. Then we see the people rebelled again. Jeremiah is preaching. Now look, this is something we didn't really highlight, but I want to say it to you today. It's really important that we see this. Jeremiah was left there. He's preaching judgments coming. Don't think that that first wave was the first thing. There's another wave of judgment coming, and you must repent. So Nebuchadnezzar comes and surrounds the city, and Jeremiah is inside the city preaching this message. Surrender! Give up! Open the doors and let him in. You have to surrender. So, of course, his message sounded like treason. And so the king took him and put him in prison. Said, you're speaking treasonous words. All the while that Ezekiel preached his prophecies and Jeremiah preached the prophetic message of God, there were other false prophets. Now, we know they were false prophets just because of what God said, who were preaching this message. Hope, security, Victory is ours. God has us. We're going to win this. You're secure in who you are. Stand strong. We have the temple. We know God. We're safe. And they were conflicting in Jeremiah's message. So when Jeremiah was put in prison, he warned them God's warning, saying, you're going to die. And he said, if you don't die, then I'm a liar. But you're going to die. Judgment's coming. Put him in prison. Judgment came. Prophets were killed. King was killed. All were taken there. Devastation. His word is truth. God's word is truth, and he always affirms his truth. We want to know this, church. There's been false prophets from the very beginning. When the prophetic door opened, false prophets spoke. You see, the enemy, he wants to contaminate the word of God, and therefore he spreads a false message. And he speaks through false prophets. And if you look in Scripture and history, you'll see false prophetic messages being proclaimed throughout. God always promised that the Messiah would come, right? So we're going to look at Scripture for a little bit. All Israel looked for his coming and knew the prophets spoke of the one who would come to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant, to fulfill later as God affirmed that message and the fact that it would come through King David. All of Israel and Judah, all their descendants, knew the Messiah was coming. They knew what family line he would come through, and they knew what was going to happen. So let's just pause for a moment. And this section of my message, which I don't, I just want you to know, it's a very different message for me today. I want you to hear this. Right now, we're just going to check out of faith mode, and I'm going to call you to reason. Use your intellect for a moment. Use your brain. We want to engage our brain for a moment. And as we do this, I want you to know that I am always a student of God's word and a student of basic knowledge in the world. 
I don't know everything. I don't know everything about God's word. I'm learning this relationship with him and growing in it all the time. So I don't want to sound like I'm intelligent more than, you. not that you think I am already, but I'm saying, I just want you to know I'm not trying to impress you with stuff. I don't know this stuff. I read it. But I want to share it with you because it's this moment of God's truth that he wants to share with us. I know that there are over 300 prophetic messages in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. There are multiple other prophecies in the Old Testament, but I'm talking about specifics about the Messiah's coming, over 300. So now there is this, um, this person that wrote this science uh, based on Christianity, and I'll, I'll tell you his name in the name of the book in just a minute. But um, here's some numbers for you. I just want you to hear this. Math is not one of my top things, but get ready. If someone today said, I know the lottery numbers before it's drawn, and they tell you what the lottery number would be, and they are correct. The math equation of being able to predict that accurately is one in the 10 million range, or that number would be quoted in mathematicians' terminology, one to the seventh power. All right, so I just want you to just hear that for a second. Now, if this person said, I know the lottery numbers and accurately predicted today, and then tomorrow got up and said, I know what the numbers are going to be and accurately predicted a second day in a row, just two days in a row, that number is now 1 to 100 trillion, which is basically 1 to the 10th to the 14th power. Now, stay with me because this is like totally awesome and crazy. Jesus, the Messiah. This guy, um, Peter Stoner, a lot smarter than me, wrote a book called Science Speaks. And the point of his book is to prove through science that Jesus is the Messiah, all that kind of stuff, all right? So listen, here's, here's something that will blow your mind. So just looking at six prophecies about Jesus. Here you go. This is the ones that we're talking about. There was a prophecy that said there would be, he would be preceded by a messenger, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Right? We know that's John the Baptist. That's one prophecy. We know Isaiah wrote about, Behold, your king comes riding on a donkey. Behold, the foal of a donkey riding into Jerusalem. Jesus did that on the day of the triumphant entry. Starting into the week of the Passover, that's two. Okay? The third one, that he would be betrayed by a friend and sold for 30 pieces of silver. Distinctly that number and that that number would buy a potter's field. Three prophecies. We know that happened. Judas sold him out, threw that money back at the temple priests, and they bought the potter's field where the poor are buried. Number four, that he would stand silent before his accusers. Isaiah wrote this message that he would stand silent. We know as Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, before all those that were accusing him, he stood in silence and Pontius Pilate was amazed and said, do you not hear these accusations? Why do you not speak? Number five, that he would die through crucifixion. Church, we'll talk about that later in the message, so I don't want to get off on that, but we will, and it's amazing. And then that he would be pierced, his hands and his feet, and his side. Six prophecies. Just these six. So this guy, Peter Stoner, said, to calculate the chance of one man fulfilling just these six, 
is one in this number, too big for me to give you the numbers, but it's quadrillion, that number, which is 10 to the 17th power. Now remember, I was saying one to the seven for, the, for that lottery, one to whatever it was. This is 10 to the 17th power just to fulfill those six. Okay, now, later, as Stoner is talking about this, what he's doing is he's inviting us to the realization of just using our intellect. There is no denying that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, but later he goes on to this and says, if one person were to only fulfill 48 of the 300, 48 of them, the odds jumped to 10 to the 157th power. Basically, impossible. Only God. That's 48. Church, we know. Looking through the lens of history at the prophetic messages of the coming Messiah, looking at the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus fulfilled all 300 plus prophetic messages of the coming Messiah. Therefore, without faith, we can simply use our intellect and know that this is the Savior of the world that God promised from the foundation of the world. There is no denying it. It's impossible for someone to look back in history, calculate these out, because, church, hear me, some of them were not seen or understood until he lived them. Yeah. Okay. So let's take this a step further. Around 700 B.C., remember the, the uh, Israelite tribe, they had split, Judah and Israel. And the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed by the Assyrian army and the Assyrian king in 722 B.C. Around 700 B.C., the prophet Micah, who wrote, wrote that last book of the Old Testament, Around 700 B.C., he wrote a prophetic message about the coming Messiah. It is critically important for us to hear this because it lays the very foundation of what God wants us to hear today. In chapter 5 of Micah, it was very well known, and we'll understand that in a moment, that this message was speaking specifically of the Savior, the Messiah, the one that is to come. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in distant past, will come from you on my behalf. Okay? Now you and I read that, it's like you all heard that during Christmas messages, right? All right? Now, this is a message that was written in 700 B.C., around that time frame, by Micah, to the people sharing God's promise of a coming Messiah. When the Magi came to Jerusalem, more than 700 years later, when they came, following the star, you remember this from Christmas, they stopped in Jerusalem to ask, where will the king be born? We're here to worship him. Matthew chapter 2, check it out. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? 
We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the, of the leading chief priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, check this out, folks, this is some cool stuff right here. Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem and the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you and will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Pretty cool stuff, right? Check it out now as we put these things together. So we see 700 years after Micah wrote this prophecy of God and shared it with his people, all the people believed it. They knew it was a message from God. They knew it was about their Messiah. And they knew exactly where he would born. God said so. So think about this. The teachers of the law those that were teaching the people God's word said, we absolutely know where he'll be born. God said this, that's where it's going to happen. So Herod, Bethlehem's where it's happening. So he sends the Magi down there, right? Okay. So think about it. Everybody knew because it was God's word. And it's 700 years later. Let's take another step here into Luke chapter 2 for a minute. We're again going to talk about the birth of Jesus. Hear, hear this out now. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for a baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. I got like... <laughs> He's amazing. God is amazing. Church, just pause and think about this because there's several things we're going to grab out of this as we look at what God's saying to us today. As we see things unfolding and how it was working, Joseph lived in Nazareth or Galilee. He was engaged to Mary. She was pregnant by the Holy Spirit to give birth to the Savior of the world. God said, through Micah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. They didn't live in Bethlehem. They lived in Galilee. He was in Nazareth, not Bethlehem. So, a Roman emperor, not a prophet, not a priest, not a man of God, a Roman emperor said, it's time for a census. Just so happened. And it just so happened that Mary's about to give birth to a baby. And it just so happens they have to go right back to Bethlehem of Judah so that the Messiah would be born exactly where God said. The way that He said. Church, don't miss this. God used governmental politicians to accomplish His plan. 
Yeah. That ought to be a say of praise. God used them. They didn't do it. Now, just for a minute, all of y'all men in this room that's had a wife that's pregnant, you got to hear this. When they told him he had to go to Bethlehem of Judea, do you think Joseph was like, Woo, hey, Mary, I know you're about to give birth. Let's take a hike. Like, you know how you question things in the moment? I'm not, I'm not trying to read in the scripture. I'm saying, as human beings, think about this. I've got to go to Bethlehem. She's about to give birth. I've got to close up shop. I've got to close up my home. I've got to relocate. This sucks. That's the human. But God was doing something behind the scenes. God was at work. Get married down to Bethlehem. The Savior is about to be born. The fulfillment of the Word of God is about to take place. He'll use whatever He needs to to accomplish His agenda. Church, we need to see this because God uses politicians and governmental structures to accomplish His plan. They do not supersede God. Let's talk about the crucifixion for a moment. We know in history that the Persians developed execution through crucifixion in 6th century B.C., about 600 years before Christ. This death sentence was created. We know in history that it, it came into practice in Rome, in the Roman Empire, around 300 B.C. Critically important times for us. Because you see, when we look in Scripture and we begin to read things, David and Zechariah both would prophesy. King David himself would write the 22nd Psalm 1,000 years before crucifixion was even known. Please hear this. It's amazing. David would write a psalm in the 22nd chapter and a portion of chapter 34 also touches on it. Zechariah spoke about it in Zechariah chapter 11. And when David wrote the 22nd Psalm, which I want to encourage you later today to go read Psalm 22, here's what it says, the very opening line. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The exact words Jesus would speak from the cross. Not only that, as you continue to read down through, he gives description of death coming through suffocation which is the way that people die in crucifixion. Not only that, but he talks about the conversations that would take place at the foot of the cross. Not only that, but he talks about how the fact that they would cast lots for his garment. Not only that, but he would talk about how they would cast these words in his teeth. They would say, O Savior, you save others, save yourself. These words that he penned a thousand years before crucifixion was even known, 1,600 years before Jesus would ever walk the planet, were fulfilled on that day of Calvary, just like God said it would. God used a political governmental structure. God used a sentence of death used to punish those who were evil, to bring about... His plan of redemption for the entire planet, all of history 
future that the Redeemer would give His life for you and I. In the moment that Jesus was dying, do you, well, we know, read the Bible, the priests, the Levites, all those scribes and elders, they thought it was all over. They had defeated Him. The spirits in the darkness, I guarantee you, were jumping for joy as they watched Him breathe His last. See, things may appear a certain way to us in our flesh. Doesn't mean God's not working. Because when all appeared to be lost, it was the moment that all hope was actually born. See, God's prophetic message was now coming to pass. It was coming into fruition. It was happening before their very eyes. God, using political, governmental structure and systems to accomplish His plan. Now, let's visit the environment in which Jesus was ministering. In Jesus' ministry, His greatest opposition came from those leaders of the church. His greatest opposition came from those who said He did not fit their interpretation of the prophecies of the coming Messiah. Don't miss that. He did not fit their interpretation of the prophecies of the coming Messiah. You'll remember this if you read the Gospels, that the disciples themselves, having been influenced by the teachings of the church about the prophetic coming of the Messiah, believed that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom. Remember, they were always arguing about sitting up there in royalty and sitting next to him when he sits upon the throne of David. They were excited about the fact that they were going to overthrow the Romans and things would be different. They believed what they had been taught by their church leaders, which in some sense they should, but I hope you understand what I'm seeing. Because as these teachers of God's word interpreted prophecy wrongly, and taught it as God's message, the people believed what they were hearing to the point that when Jesus stood before them, they did not see him because he did not fit their interpretation of prophecy. When we see things that do not fit our personal interpretation of prophecy, we should be careful. We know, looking back, remember, that over 300 prophetic messages of the coming Messiah were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But they had translated them according to their wants, their desires, and their interpretation of things. And since he did not fit their picture, he was a fake. What was taking place was this. The church long believed the prophecies of the coming Messiah. It's clear they believed where he'd be born, Bethlehem of Judea, right? It is clear they understood that he would sit upon the throne of David, which he was going to, and he does. But they lost some of the interpretation in how they tried to spell out what God was saying. And the fact of the matter is they became blind to truth because 
the truth they heard didn't meet the criteria of their own truth. Their personal beliefs and convictions did not allow them to see it, therefore they became part of it. (laughs) Okay. Today, let's come into the moment. Today, many are trying to interpret every event around the world as a prophetic event. Please hear me all the way through on this. I'm asking you to pay attention to the words that I am speaking to you and God's word as I speak it. Many are trying to put a prophetic spin on every event that's happening, trying to give proof that Jesus is coming soon, giving a prophetic message that there is a coming judgment. I'm not saying none of that is not happening. Just hear me through. But what they're doing is they're trying to take this current pandemic thing and all that's going on and make it a prophetic message to the world. We have to know what God actually says. We need to know what God says while only allowing God to interpret what he says. So when I spoke to you that I'm going to give you a prophetic message, I want you to hear me correctly. I wasn't telling you I'm going to reveal your future to you. God's already revealed it to you, heaven or hell. (laughs) Okay? But what we're going to do is we want to see the truth of God's word versus what we hear and what we've been taught. Clearly, God gives us a message of truth that all of us should hear and understand. I used the scripture before. I want you to hear this correctly. I'm sorry to keep saying that, but I want you to please understand this. I used this scripture before and made this comment, and I had people leave the church. So I'm not telling you you have to leave or anything, but it's God's word. Listen to it. On the day of Pentecost, which we will celebrate next Sunday, by the way, on the calendar and in the church. But on that day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 that is recorded, which took place 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 10 days after he ascended into heaven, when he ascended, he promised the promise of the Father would come. Wait for it. On the day of Pentecost, God fulfilled the promise and poured out his spirit upon those in the upper room. Those in the upper room, having been filled by the Holy Spirit, fire appearing above their heads, ran out into the streets and preached God's word. In the message, it is distinctly quoted by Peter himself, a prophetic word from the prophet Joel. In the 16th verse, when everybody was saying, what in the world is going on? Are these people drunk? What are they doing? We hear them talking in our own languages. What is happening? Peter stands up in verse 16. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Actually, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, just so you know. Peter then quotes this prophetic message. You ready? In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. 
In those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn to blood. Blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Church, when Peter spoke this word, he proclaimed that moment right then, right there, that God says, we are now in the last days. That was over 2,000 years ago. God spoke those words through Peter under the anointing of the Holy Spirit saying the end times have started at the day of Pentecost. There are many who are telling you these are the signs of the end days. It's only happening right now. There are churches and denominations that have taught that because they had an experience with the Holy Spirit that that was the mark of the end days. God's word tells us it happened at Pentecost. I read it to you. He said, this is what's happening. God's word is being fulfilled right now, right here in your own ears. These are the last days. God's doing this. I want you to know, church, we are in the end days since Pentecost through today. Now then, when we recall the scriptures in Second Peter that we read last week, he said, I don't want you all to think that things are just going on as normal and like God's like slow and not good to his word. He's good to his word. But he said, because he's eternal, a day's like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. Peter wasn't saying like day, days are like a thousand years to God. He's giving us an intellectual understanding that God's eternal. He's not like dictated by clocks and calendars the way you and I are. We've already learned in scripture that God's not real fast about what he does according to our calendars but he's good to his word. See, God gave a promise and his promise is true and his promise came just like he said it would when he spoke to the prophet Joel saying this would be fulfilled. And it was. So now let's finally get to the point of the message. This current pandemic that's going on around us has swept the globe. You know that. Look, I don't read or look at conspiracy theory prophetic messages, though a lot of people send them to me. Some of you here, and I'm, I'm not disrespecting anybody, I just want you to hear me. The normal function that Dave does when I get anything from YouTube, I delete it. I don't watch it. I don't care. I don't mean I don't care disrespectfully. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> Today is the day I live. And I live for Jesus regardless. So I don't let that stuff grip me or follow any rabbit trails or try and interpret things because I've learned through Scripture that we can misinterpret stuff that's right in front of our face. Thank you for one amen. <laughs> so we're talking about this current pandemic. With this thing that's happening, there's been so many people that have tried to well, not tried to. People have just put it out there like this is the fulfillment of this. This is that. This is what's happening. This is what's going to come about because of it. This is going on. All right. I am not speaking light or easy about this. I want you to hear what I'm trying to say. And I believe God wants me to say this to you and to everyone that's hearing. See, um, 
What usually happens with these messages is there's fear attached. And what I've seen that has troubled my heart more than anything else in this whole pandemic moment is the fear that Christians have been enveloped in. And that's a travesty. God doesn't want us engulfed in fear. God has set us free from that. And what the enemy wants to do is engulf us in fear where fear itself begins to dictate how we live, move, and exist. I am not going to read into this Dave's interpretation. Hear what I am about to say to you. I was raised in the church, and I was a child in the 70s. A child, a little, little young child. Uh, well, well, I was. Anyway, so, you know, probably before that as well, but all I know is in my life, this is what I saw. There was this incredible amount of teaching about the end times. There was this message that was cloaked in darkness and fear. There is coming a tribulation. There is coming an antichrist, a beast. You're going to have to take the mark of the beast, 666. You're not going to be able to buy or sell without this. You all have heard these things on the internet already, but it's in the Bible, by the way. And everything that was going on, there was this this rapture thing and these seven years of tribulation and the beast and the antichrist and the prophet of the antichrist and the beast and all these things are going on. And so what took place then was there began to be this teaching of the end times that was set up like this. And many of you already know this, but I'm just going to run through it real fast. That when the day comes, there's going to be a trumpet sound in heaven, which is first lesson in chapter four. And you'll hear this shout of the archangel and the people will be raptured that believe in Christ and you're going to be taken to heaven. And then there's going to begin on that day a seven-year time of tribulation. During that time, the Antichrist and the beast will come to power. Things will be good for a few years, and then in the middle of that seven-year season, all hell is going to break loose. You're going to have to receive the mark of the beast if you're going to have food and be able to buy things and all these things. And if you don't, you're going to be executed because you're not going to be able to have your food, and you're going to be uh, beheaded, and you're not going to make it and all these things. And so here's two things that are going to happen. You're either going to repent now and ask Jesus to come into your life, or during that time frame, you're going to have to die a martyr's death to be able to get out of here. At the end of the seven years, Jesus is going to come and the battle of Armageddon is going to take place and it's going to be the end of all things the way we know it. Then a thousand year millennial kingdom will happen and he will reign upon the earth the way it's supposed to be in the beginning. I want you to hear me. That was the teaching of the church, the interpretation of Revelation, Daniel, Ezekiel, and the end times. But I want you also to know that none of that teaching came into existence until the late 1800s. Prior to the late 1800s, that was not a belief system in the church, nor did anyone teach that. Do you know what the teaching was of the end times prior to the 1800s? Does anybody know? Just raise your hand if you know what it was. I want you to know what it was. The church prior to the 1800s believed that we, the believers, would preach the gospel and live our faith in such a way that the world would turn to Christ. And the millennial kingdom would take place because we have ushered Jesus in through redemption and salvation and the message of hope. Think about that. That was what the church taught about the end times. 
In the late 1800s, this revelation of revelation began to take hold, and then the church began to interpret the end times differently to the point that most people that are in the church or been around the church have somewhat of that series of events ingrained in them so they believe this is the way it's going to happen. Anybody want to say amen to that? Have you heard that? Yeah, man, it's been a teaching of the church. Okay. Now, I want to be very clear with you. The Bible says there will be some type of a rapture type event. First Thessalonians 3, it does say something about that. The Bible does say there will be an Antichrist. As a matter of fact, First John says there are many Antichrists, and they have been around since the day of Jesus, just so you know. But there will be coming an Antichrist that is accepted by the, by the Jews as the Messiah. There's no question. There will be a beast. There is a use of the number 666 in some capacity to buy and sell and trade as the Bible outlines. Okay? I want you to know those things are in the Bible and I believe them. What I'm calling into question today is the way that we have interpreted them to fit our agenda and to allow us to speak what God's going to do through what we think He ought to do. See, I'm calling into question the order of sequence of events that we have wrongly, probably, possibly taught God's people to look for. And the fact of the matter is, we could be looking for something that is not there while something that is there is right there in front of us, i.e. Jesus Himself. The, the people of the church were looking at Him. They watched Him fulfill the prophecies. But they rejected Him. We in the modern church are looking so strongly for these series of events that while they can be happening, we're missing it. And the problem with it is, is that most of the way we projected this is in fear, darkness, cloudiness. Christians are enveloped in fear about the end times. I want you to know the end times for the believer is our victory. It is our celebration. It is not about fear. It is about the conquering king we serve. It is about him reigning supreme. I want you to know that the governments of this world think there's something, but the word of God says that Jesus Christ is king of kings and lord of lords. Therefore, they are all below him. They are not dictating what God is doing. God is dictating what they are doing. God is at work, church. Don't be afraid. We don't face these things and we don't face them in fear. Our God has promised victory to us. First John chapter 4. Check this out. Church, I want you to just reject the fear of the enemy that's trying to just envelop you and destroy you. We know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in His love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. I just read these a couple weeks ago. Listen. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face Him with confidence. You hear that? We're not afraid of judgment. We're not afraid of what's coming. We can stand and face all of this in confidence. Why? Because we live like Jesus here in this world. 
We know we're living in the truth. Amen. Let's read that next to that statement. It's so good. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we were afraid, it is for fear of punishment and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Man, he's awesome. So we're stepping out of reason into faith for a moment. I realize we're late in the game time-wise and we're going to end this quickly. Um, in my world. Uh, a, a called faith. Why are the events of Revelation taught and viewed in fear by Christians? Why is it that when we talk about Revelation, or even if we say we're going to talk about or read or preach about Revelations, people get nervous? The only part of Revelation we're okay with is the first three chapters where he talks about the churches because we know they were historical places in history and that he's addressing certain churches, right? So we're good with that. But after that, it's like, oh, what's happening? So let me, let me just give you something with your reason as we step into faith area. With all the current modern prophets that are saying it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, none of them believe it's today. Actually, nobody in the church really believes it's today. Seriously, think about it. Do you really think Jesus is coming today? If so, you would have already been to the altar. I'm not being sarcastic at all. If we really believed it was today, there's some things we would not be messing around with in our minds and our lives and our hearts. We would be right here repenting because if today's the day that I'm going to face God and I'm going to face judgment, there's some things I'm going to get straight in my life. So the truth of the matter is while we say he's coming soon, none of us think soon is today. So all of us really believe he's coming, but not yet. Not today, not tomorrow, because I've got plans. <laughs> not next week. Seriously, think about it. But when do you really expect Jesus to come? When is it? When are you looking for him? So it's easy for us to talk a prophetic message, but to live a prophetic truth is a whole different story. The message of the end times being clouded in darkness and not being celebrated in victory by the church is a travesty on our part. I blame the teachers, the self-proclaimed prophets, pastors. I blame us, the leadership of the church. Just like I look back in history and I see that the people that were in the leadership of the church in the day of Jesus failed them miserably. I confess to you that the leaders of the modern church have failed miserably in teaching a prophetic message of fear rather than a message of hope and victory and celebration for the church. Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to read two verses out of Revelation to you. Two. Just two. The first one that opens the entire book that tells us something of great significance. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. Guess what, church? The book of Revelation is given to me and you from Jesus himself so that we know our victory is secure in him. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Not something to be afraid of or try and figure out or freak out about. He's like, I'm giving you this message through John so that my servants would understand that I am going to win this thing. Yeah. 
I am the victorious king. It is I, Jesus, who will stand when all else bow. Church, it's a message of victory. Verse number three. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says. For the time is near. Oh, God's not in a hurry, is he? (laughs) 2,000 years ago, he wrote this. It's near. It's coming. I'm not slow. I'm waiting for you. God's saying that. Man, I've got something for you. God says, I've got something for you. I want you to know how it unfolds. There's going to be a day where all of us are standing before the throne of God celebrating. Where the King of kings and Lord of lords himself stands before us. The prophetic message is one of hope for us, church. One of victory. Do you know him? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you? Man, if you're online and you're watching this, and if you haven't, And if you want some help to guide you through this, I want you to know you can contact us. There's information that's on the screen, information that's coming to you. Please contact us. Those of you that are here, if you want to, there's an altar right here. That's what we call this place. You can come. You can sit in the front rows, whatever. Please accept Jesus as your Savior. He is the Messiah, the promised one of God, fulfilling every prophetic message that God spoke. He's done it all. He is the one and only. Christians, Have you been affected by fear in light of the current events? So I want to make sure I I mention this to you because um, there's this, this crazy thing going on in our culture where some people are wearing masks and some people aren't. And a lot of times people can see people with masks on and think they're afraid or, you know, they're weak or whatever. I want you to know I am not talking about masks at all. If you've got something going on in your life and you need a mask, by all means wear a mask. Okay, I don't care. I don't believe that someone wearing a mask is living in fear or someone that isn't is living in bravery. Okay, that is not what we're talking about here. That is not what we're speaking at all. What we are saying is the fear that grips your heart, that paralyzes you, that makes you unsure of the moment you're alive, makes you unsure of your faith in the conquering King Jesus. That's the fear we're talking about. That's the fear God is addressing. Okay, I'm going to wear my seatbelt in my car, but I'm not going to wear a helmet on my bike. Okay, look... (laughs) What, what I'm trying to say is, you know, you do what you feel comfortable with in your life. I get it. Okay? And people want me to wear a helmet, and the government says I have to wear a seatbelt. I wear a seatbelt in the car because they said so. Okay, fine. Whatever. Here's the thing. Are you being affected by fear where it is actually subverting your faith? There's a problem. You're going to die. Do you trust God? Do you know that he's going to carry you through, that he has promises for us? For in that moment we breathe our last, that he is there. Have you been viewing God's prophecies in fear? When you read the prophecies and you see things you don't understand, does it strike fear in your heart or hope? It should strike hope in your heart. God spoke it. He's going to do it. It's going to happen. We already know it's going to happen, but it's going to happen the way he said it, not the way I think. Let God do it. 
Last comment and point right here on my action steps. It really is. So if you can see those, I don't know if you can or not. But the last one. Have you been promoting prophetic interpretations via email, social media, etc.? God is 100% accurate, period. Some of the... I'm going to choose my words wisely. Crap that is being pushed on the internet as prophetic is pathetic. And we in the church need to understand that God is very serious about His prophetic message. And before you ever push forward or give your interpretation or make a post, you better understand that God says my prophets are 100% accurate or they deserve to die. It should end a lot of our social media garbage. This is God's word, church. We need to hear it. See, what we are doing is promoting messages that don't point to Jesus as Lord, that don't promote hope in people to say He's the answer. We're promoting messages of fear and destruction because we want to sound superior and know that we know things they don't. The fact of the matter is, you know Jesus, and you ought to celebrate that fact and humbly introduce Him to other people. The messages we need to be sharing is Him and that He is the hope of the world. By all means, if God Himself speaks a prophetic message to you, then share it. Just know it's Him. Because judgment's coming. There's your fear. (laughs) He's the answer. Let's do it. Stand with me. Man, way over. I apologize. It's because I haven't had people to preach at for a while, you know, and you guys are here. It's like, woo, it's awesome. Yeah. Father, we love you. Here's the altar. Anybody needs it? Come forward. If you don't, right over here is your exit. We're going to ask you to exit that way. And uh, if you're a guest here today, please take one of those bags with you. The altar's open. Please come. And God bless you, church. Let's go serve, serve him fearlessly and glorify our king. You're dismissed. Thank you, Lord.